This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. I'm Martin Strong. This is Vancouver Consumer. It's been a crazy couple of years. And as we get closer to Christmas, if you can believe that, uh, it doesn't seem to be getting any less crazy, but it's still important to think about the future. How do you protect what you've worked so hard to have? How do you make sure you're positioned properly to look after yourself, your retirement, and of course, your family? Uh, and on Vancouver Consumer this afternoon, we'll get some answers from the folks at Macmillan Estate Planning. They've got lots of great ideas. That's coming up. But first, some of the consumer news headlines from the past week. The federal government is getting a lot of pressure to drop their rule that you have to have a negative COVID test to drive across the border into Canada. There's now a campaign from a coalition of business and travel groups to get rid of it. COVID-19 testing requirements for fully vaccinated travelers, that's as the U.S. opens its land borders to fully vaccinated travelers on Monday, Perrin Beattie. Uh, with the Canadian Chamber of Commerce, says the uh, testing requirement for fully vaccinated travelers is just a doubling up of precautions. But still, he admits it's causing a financial strain for Canadian businesses and families. It's especially expensive for big families who now have to shell out hundreds of extra dollars just to come home from vacation. It also makes day trips into the U.S., into the United States, rather, cost prohibitive. The cost of getting a PCR test in the U.S. for travel varies. The cost of at least one lab in Washington state is about 180 bucks U.S., which is about $225 Canadian. Appointments are generally needed to get a test for travel, but again, the process may vary. The B.C. government wants to introduce a cooling-off period for real estate to try to bring the boiling housing market down to a light simmer. It would give buyers a little time to change their minds and cancel the purchases with little or no legal consequences. It's unclear how long the cooling-off period would be, but the province says the B.C. Financial Services Authority will consult with key industry stakeholders and experts to figure that out. BC already has a seven-day cooling-off period for pre-construction sales of condos. Retailers in downtown Vancouver are breathing a sigh of relief this weekend. A guy suspected of going on a window-smashing spree has been arrested by police. A 50-year-old suspect has been arrested. This past Wednesday, cops were first called after a man threw a rock through a Davy Street storefront. Witnesses called police and kept eyes on the suspect while waiting for the cops to arrive. They were able to arrest the man who was familiar to them. The reason why he was familiar to them is because it was the second time that day he was arrested. Police had cuffed him earlier in the day for smashing a business's window at Robson and Butte. After the second arrest, he was taken to jail. Police are now investigating if he has any links to previous reports of mischief in the downtown core. Since August, Vancouver police have received, on average, 11 reports each week from business owners in the downtown core who have had their storefront windows smashed. After the witnesses were able to call in this case, police are reminding people to, uh, to call 911 if they believe they're watching a crime in progress. 
And uh, this is an interesting case now before the Supreme Court of Canada, and it could have broad implications on the interpretation of the law surrounding consent and sexual assault. In 2017, a BC woman whose identity is protected by a publication ban twice had sex with a Vancouver area man. She wanted him to wear a condom. He wore it the first time, but didn't on the second. And she didn't know that. Ross Mackenzie Kirkpatrick was charged with sexual assault, but was later acquitted at trial. But the BC Court of Appeal ordered a new trial, prompting the man's appeal to the Supreme Court. This case could go a long way in defining the concept of sexual consent. This is Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. Still to come, we'll talk to the folks at Macmillan Estate Planning. That's when we return right after this. Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. I'm Martin Strong. And retirement isn't what it used to be. Nowadays, retirement is seen as a new exciting chapter in our lives, and it can be a very long chapter. In fact, many retirees will spend more years in their retirement than they did in their working lives. So how do you make the most of your retirement? How do you protect your wealth so you can enjoy it throughout your retirement years, as well as safeguard it for the next generation? That's where Macmillan Estate Planning comes in. Their website is macmillanestate.com. They've got a couple of virtual seminars that you can sign up for on their website, macmillanestate.com. Wednesday, November 10th at 5.30 p.m. Uh, Saturday, November 20th at 9 a.m. And Wednesday, November 24th at 5.30 p.m. These are all Pacific time. And uh, we will talk about the seminars, but uh, I want to introduce our guests first. Jack Lou and Paul Lindsay, our friends from Macmillan Estate Planning. Hello, guys. Hi, Paul. Hey, Martin. Hey, Martin. How's it going? It's going very well. And I'll say hi to Jack, too. Hi, Jack. It's it's great to be with you, Martin. Yeah. So I guess I'll I'll start with you, Jack. Uh, I mean, what is an estate plan? I mean, you hear estate planning all the time. But in, in your mind, what is an estate plan? That's a great question, Martin. Uh, there's a common misconception that estate planning or a, a estate plan is really all about death and passing on your wealth to the next generation. And although that is a key aspect, it is not the driving force. Uh, far from it, in fact. Uh, the life plan, for example, should be the driving force of an estate plan. If that is done right, everything should simply flow from that. Tax plan. Legal plan, for example, legacy plan, they should support your life plan, and all those plans should, in, uh, you know, center around your significance and safeguarding uh, the significance. So, on the surface, many people plan their estates to save tax, uh, and yes, that is one good reason to plan your estate. But there is a lot of clever ways to to save an undue tax on your estate. But in my experience, many families. Uh, plan their estate for a much deeper reason than that, uh, you know, than the tax. It's about defining or identifying your significance, really being in tune with that, and then building your estate plan around it to protect what is most uh, important to you now and in the future. Right. And there's a couple of phrases in there that I want to unpack a little bit. Uh, You talk about significance, but earlier on, you talk about a life plan. Describe what a life plan is. So, uh, Martin, life plan is our plan A. 
you know, the plan after death is, uh, you know, what we call plan B, because we, <laughs> of course, we plan for uh, the unexpected or, you know, uh, the expected, uh, you know, which is, which is, you know, uh, what you want to do or what you want to do for your beneficiaries after, uh, after you pass away. But think about it, Martin, you were in Canada. It's a great country, uh, you know, living a, a, a you know, um, a great lifestyle, quality lifestyle with, with clean air, fresh water. So the plan A is for us to live for a long time. We want to make sure that while we are alive, we enjoy quality, sustainable, and comfortable lifestyle. So that is why everything should be, uh, should be planned for around a quality life plan. Right. That make that makes sense. I love the plan A and plan B. <laughs> That's good. And you talk about significance, identifying your significance. What, what do you, what is, how does that relate to estate planning? Yeah, maybe Jack, if I take, if I take that one, um, I mean, the, the idea of a significance, Martin, it, it's, it's sort of building on what Jack was saying about life planning. The, the, the concept really is the, the central focus of what we do here at Macmillan. Now, I don't ask this very often, but if you might just indulge me for a moment, I will you know, I'll try and give you a sense of, of how we help the families we work with understand what this idea of significance means. Right. Now, we, we'll often say, okay, look, close your eyes, take a big breath, and now imagine and think, okay. what does your retirement look like? In an ideal world, where are you going to be? Who's going to be with you? What is it that you want to protect for retirement? What does it look like in your 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, even 100? What's important okay. to you? I'm, I'm doing that right now. I've got my okay. eyes closed. I'm thinking about it. I should really have provided some soothing music, Martin, but I'm, I'm doing my <laughs> best here. I'm doing my best. But, but oh. the answers to those questions, they are your significance. And that's really what we're trying to, to support and safeguard through your planning. That's okay. really interesting because I guess for a lot of people, their significance is totally different. From yeah, yeah, quite, quite right. Quite right. And it's, it's, it's something of a moving target anyway, because what could be significant to you now in, in today, it could well change 20, 30 years time. I mean, we find that clients who are, I'm not saying just starting out in life as though they're children, but maybe they're of an age where they're just building their business, they have a young family and so forth. At that point, their significance could well be their family. And then as they grow, it changes whilst the business grows and so forth. And then it looks completely different in retirement. But the point is this, is that what is significant to the family that we work with, be that collectively or individually, you, you deserve the right to protect that significance, not only for you personally, but also obviously for the, for the wider family as well. Right. So I, I guess that's the first step. When you go to Macmillan Estate Planning, you picture what you want your retirement to look like. And uh, how, do you, how do you put that into action? <laughs> that's the, that's the, because what if your significance is you know, somewhere warm and tropical, or maybe it's, <laughs> it's, in, the house, it's in the house you're in right now. Who knows? So how do you exactly. put that into action? Well, I think possibly the best way to try and answer that question about how we put, put this all into action is, uh, is with, with a, a little bit of an anecdote, which is it's quite, it's quite well known within the office. 
and the the story centers on uh, uh, a colleague that joined us who had a background working in uh, the banking sector and yes she brought some great experience with her but she did, she looked at things in a in a in a rather traditional way and so Sherry McMillan, who is our principal, was working with her to help her understand how we approach things a little bit differently here at McMillan. Now, this planner was looking at the way that we, um, we deal with the, the financial statement that we prepare for our clients. And she sort of said, well, you know, the way we used to do it in the bank was like this. And we had all these wonderful diagrams and slides and things of that nature. And she didn't really understand why we didn't have the same approach. And so Sherry said, look, we come at things from a completely different, more holistic angle. And she said, okay, you go away, do some research, let me know what you think and come back with a few ideas. And I think, I think Jack remembers this story a little bit better than I, so maybe he'll take it through to the, the more exciting part, Martin. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, thank you, Paul. Uh, so, you know, guess what? The plan did exactly that. Uh, he, she uh, went out and met with a lot of, uh, you know, different providers and competitors, um, you know, collecting some, some intel, so to speak, uh, as to how they pull together uh, these multifaceted, uh, you know, and complicated net worth packages for their clients. And she was particularly impressed by one that had an artificial intelligence uh, component and, and could provide real-time scenarios uh, based on the client's specific circumstances. And the providers told her a story of how their program worked in practice, which really impressed her. And then she relayed the story back. Apparently, there was an instance where uh, you know, a financial planner at a big wealth management firm met with a very affluent client in his 70s uh, who was worth, let's say, $100 million and whose favorite wow. pastime was yachting. You know, uh, Martin, uh, being on the coast, you, you, you probably can relate on this. You know, yachting is one of, oh, yeah. uh, you know, the favorite uh, <laughs> activities, right? <laughs> Um, so the client was debating whether uh, to buy a second yacht, and, and was really um, um and I, you know, about whether he should, uh, you know, pull some money and out and and uh, to buy it. So the yeah, buy that planner, second yacht. That's exactly right. So you know, the planner uh, was was very cautious to say the least, and and he used the program and and in real time showed him all the expenses associated with buying a second yacht, how the boat would depreciate and did it all there in real time for the client. And the client was very impressed by having this information so quickly and decided it was too complicated and expensive to get another, you know, another yacht and decided to keep his money in his investments. And our colleague, you know, the planner, uh, uh, you know, um, in the story was very impressed by the, uh, by the story, you know, by the um, competitor story, but Sherry was not. Uh, Sherry's response uh, actually surprised the planner uh, quite a bit. Uh, she said, what a sad story. Why is it so sad? You know, the planner asked. Uh, obviously, you know, uh, Sherry's principle uh, is that, you know, the client obviously could afford it. And his favorite pastime was yachting. Imagine the joy he would have got from from buying that yacht, right? The memories he would have, you know, made sailing it, or now uh, he he won't get um, he he won't get to do that without buying it. So all because of his financial planner's advice, uh, you know, that wants him to to keep the investments in play. Not so sad. 
So yachting was most likely the client's significance. So why not buy it, right? So later, that junior planner um, told Cherry, oh, that was the light bulb moment for her. Interesting. So it's all about like really listening because I guess to the financial planner, it was all facts and figures and numbers. And if you buy this yacht, even though you've got a hundred million dollars, if you buy this yacht, it's going to be too expensive, but uh, it's about more than numbers. Hey. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so like, I, I love that idea, that, that idea where you, uh, where you really take a holistic approach so, so how important is that holistic approach to you, Paul? I mean, uh, it sounds like it's not about facts and figures and numbers to you. Yeah, absolutely, Martin. And I think that's, a, that's a, a really quite an interesting question you've posed there. Um, the fact is that the business that we're involved with, it's not always about hard numbers and things of that nature. The families that we work with, they have built this wealth and... It is our job, yes, of course, to help them be, a, I suppose, a custodian of that wealth. But we have to balance that against the client's, you know, wants and dreams and, and things, things of that nature. And, and that's, that's really one of the, the unique features, I suppose, about, about the business of Macmillan Estate Planning is that we do look at things in that more holistic fashion rather than based on, you know, technology and spreadsheets and things of that nature. I'm not suggesting they're not important, but really, are they the be-all and end-all? I don't think they are. That's right. And in the end, our retirement is supposed to be doing what we love. And uh, that's why Macmillan Estate Planning is there. You can go to macmillanestate.com. Uh, we're talking to Paul Lindsay and Jack Lou. And uh, a reminder, they have a, a virtual seminar uh, coming up, they have three of them actually, Wednesday, November 10th at 5.30 p.m. And then there's one on Saturday on the 20th of November at 9 a.m. And then Wednesday, November 24th at 5.30 p.m. And those times are all Pacific time. But you have to go to macmillanestate.com to uh, register for that. So go to, go to the website. You can learn a lot about the company, Macmillan Estate, uh, MacmillanEstate.com. And uh, you can also phone them the old fashioned way, Macmillan Estate Planning at 1-833-266-6464. And when we come back, we're going to talk more with Paul and Jack. And I want to hear about uh, the seminars and uh, what goes on. And I also want to talk about trusts. And that's when we return with the guys from Macmillan Estate Planning on Vancouver Consumer. I'm Martin Strong. Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. I'm Martin Strong. And with me are uh, the two guys from Macmillan Estate Planning, Jack Lou and Paul Lindsay, MacmillanEstate.com. And they have a virtual seminar coming up. There's actually three of them. Wednesday, November 10th at 5.30 p.m., uh, and then Saturday, November 20th at 9 a.m. And Wednesday, November 24th at 5.30 p.m. And it's all Pacific time. And uh, Paul Lindsay and Jack Lou are with me. Paul, uh, what, are, what about these uh, virtual seminars? I, I guess it's a good chance for people to, to kind of learn a little bit about what you do and what you can do for people as they get ready for their estate planning. 
Yep, correct. I mean, the, the, the procedure is pretty simple and straightforward. You can register through our website at www.macmillanestate.com. And from that point on, you'll, you'll receive a, a link to get into the, the webinar. And in essence, what will happen is Jack and I will appear in your living room. I would say, from my hum, in my humble opinion, we can certainly compete with Hollywood's finest, but perhaps we're a little <laughs> bit more useful. And, yeah, <laughs> you know, we're providing useful information. We're not just smoldering. Um, and the idea <laughs> is, the idea is, is that we'll 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 cover off a, a range of estate planning uh, topics at quite a high level. But the idea is just to give people a sense of what what is out there, what these individual strategies look like, and then if there is interest on the part of the the viewer well we can of course have a you know more private and more bespoke discussion with them on a on a complimentary basis um just to give you a, a flavor that the sorts of things that we talk about are things like tax planning legal planning the use of trusts how we uh succeed businesses um we'll pay a little bit of attention to to, to, to families who have maybe assets or interests uh in the u.s um, some some general asset and investment protection ideas, as well as some generational planning, and last but by no means least, the use of charitable giving within the estate planning structure. Right, and uh, you know it's probably worth your time to you know to turn off Squid Game and uh, on Netflix and watch something like this because it's also kind of a comfortable way to do it. Because in the old days you had to go into the office and and now you can just sort of sit back and it's it, it's a nice comfortable way to learn about this stuff. And you mentioned some of the things uh, that you will be talking about. Let's uh, talk about trust planning uh, because that is a, a really big part of an estate plan strategy. And uh, a lot of your families are currently making use of it. So, so tell me a little bit about what a trust is exactly and how you use it. So, uh, Martin, uh, a trust is a legal relationship that maintains ownership of an asset on behalf of a beneficiary. Uh, unlike a will, a trust may provide a family with taxation, matrimonial, and credit protection. In addition, uh, your wishes, uh, I mean, your state wishes, and, and uh, also your estate assets are held privately. So at the most basic level, there are two types of the trusts. Um, one is the uh, intervivals trust, it's the fancy Latin word for lifetime. So basically, this type of trust can be set up during one's lifetime. Uh, and then uh, there is a, a testamentary trust, um, which is created after one person's, uh, you know, a person's death. Uh, the great thing about trusts is that they can be uh, as complicated or as simple as you wish. Uh, you set the rules, you set the guidance, and you get to do exactly, uh, or sorry, you get the trust to do exactly what you want them to do, either during your lifetime or after you're passing. Right. And, and so, like you say, it can be complicated or simple. So uh, I guess a, when I think of a trust, I think of maybe uh, money for your kids or grandkids, and uh, they get a certain amount of money every month. And then when they turn a certain age, they get a big, they get it all. Is that a, that's a common one, I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, Martin, I, I think what you've described there is, is a fairly traditional use of a, of a trust. But I, I, I believe Jack sort of alluded to it there. The, the fact is, is that these, 
these these structures, if you like, these these um, you know the, the the trusts that we use are incredibly flexible. So we can build them based upon what the, the, the client wants to do and indeed how they want to make provision for their beneficiaries. Because some are quite relaxed about maybe an adult child having complete control over their trust. But especially, of course, if it's a, maybe a younger beneficiary, we need some more controls. Or maybe if it's a beneficiary that has perhaps some, some health or, or even addiction issues, we are able to use the trust mechanism or structure and put in place some controls to make sure that whilst the needs of the beneficiary are met, they are the, the, the wishes of the, the settlor, the person who creates the trust, are always you know, the, at the forefront of the planning. Right. And, and Jack, you mentioned living trusts and testamentary trusts. Yeah. Uh, ex- explain more about the differences between those two things. Uh, so, you know what, um, I will let Paul take away, uh, you know, on the living trust and I'll talk about testament trust. How's that? Sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm good with that, Jack. Thank you. I mean, <laughs> um, Jack, Jack's very, you know, kindly let me talk about a living trust, which may not come as, any, as a surprise to anybody, but it's a trust you create in your lifetime versus the testamentary trust that, that obviously comes into being in your will. But the idea is, is that you can transfer assets into this living trust as you wish. And that's, that's really convenient for a lot of the, the, you know, the, the, the high or even the ultra high net worth Canadian families that we act for, because it means that as they generate all of this wealth and maybe they don't need access to certain assets anymore, they can place them inside the trust. And once they're in there, the assets are no longer technically your property. They're held by a trustee on behalf of your beneficiary. And when you die, that trust stays in place. And because the trust was always legally owned by somebody else, it means that the assets inside the trust skip probate. And the, 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 the clear benefit to that is that as a result, those assets aren't subject to probate fees. And beyond that as well, it's important to many families that the trust is privatized. People, third parties cannot access information concerning the underlying assets in the trust in the same way as they could if they wanted to, if your estate is simply going through probate. Okay. Now, as the trust generates income, however, whilst you're still alive, and indeed when you die, it, it's still taxable. They're, they're, you know, this, this is more about asset protection, asset preservation, rather than sort of mitigating tax. But the issue you have to bear in mind is that because of the tax position and the need for the trust to file a return, it can be pretty complicated. So there's a need to you know, get the proper advice um, from somebody who specializes in this sort of thing before you, you embark on it. Right. It's worth heading to MacmillanEstate.com to get Very some Very kind of you to say, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> so, so now, Jack, it's your, your turn with the testamentary trusts. Right, right. So, um, you know, continue on, uh, you know, to what Paul, uh, you know, uh, was discussing. Testamentary trusts actually have a lot of benefits the living trust, uh, you know, do. Uh, but rather than, um, say, you know, coming into being while you're still alive, uh, the testamentary trust is only triggered um, upon your passing. 
So it can be created in your will, for example, uh, while you're still alive, but it does uh, only come into effect uh, upon your passing. Uh, because the assets inside a testamentary trust uh, are your property up until your death, so they're subject to state taxes and probate. But although not a tax-mitigating tool as such, uh, they can cover off uh, some more, in, you know, significant priorities. Remember how we talk about significances? Uh, you know, these significances, uh, uh, the, you know, that are more of a priority than tax, for example, uh, that a family may want to plan for. For example, a testamentary trust can be a great solution for blended families and to preserve uh, the positive dynamic uh, uh, in, in the family. So you can, for example, create a trust that will provide for the needs of your current spouse, but allow the rest of your assets to pass on to your own you know, biological children from your previous marriage. Uh, because the trust remains under the control of the trustee rather than the beneficiary. Your wishes and direction or you know, guidance remain in control of how the assets is used. Uh, this makes it a very powerful tool for taking care of a dependent who has, say, a disability or, you know, has, has some issues managing their own finances. You can also specify whether the remaining assets after a beneficiary passes on, for example, are then distributed amongst your children, given to a charity, or, you know, your grandchildren as well. Right. So do you have an example of how a testamentary trust <clears throat> would work in action? Uh, I have a, a really... Uh, good story for this one, Martin, and, and um, it, it, I think it, it really sort of uh, typifies some of the, the families that we work with and how they, they go about their planning and indeed how they use these, uh, these testamentary trusts. Now, again, this is, this is a, I, I assure you, this is a really good story. It, um, <laughs> it, will, it will stir the emotions, I guarantee it, I guarantee okay. it. Okay. Before okay, I begin, the, 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 the gentleman I'm going to talk about really makes us other chaps look really bad, but bear with me. So okay. we acted for a husband and wife, and we did their planning, and all was well. And then one day we met with the, the husband on his own, which was a little bit strange because he usually came with his wife. He was absolutely devoted to us, so this was something of a surprise. Now... He came in, he sat down, and he slid a shoebox across the table. And of course, you know, we were thinking, well, what on earth is in here? And he said, look, I'm getting old. I'm afraid to say that I'm not aging as well as my dear wife. It's almost certain that she's going to live longer than me. But I made her a promise some time ago. And the promise was, I'll never leave you. I will always be with you. And he said, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, so, I'm just so petrified that I'm not going to keep that promise. So, as a means of showing her how much I love her, I've written anniversary cards so that she will get one every year for the next 20 years. And I'm going to set up a trust so that it sends it to her every year after I passed so she always knows that I love her. Now, wow. as I said, that, that makes the rest of us look really bad. But I think <laughs> no that the sentiment is wonderful because this chap then passed away a few years later and the trust that he created in his will is, is in effect. And it wasn't just, you know, to sort of, you know, um, discharge this wonderful gesture. It was, you know, to protect his wife financially and make suitable provision for her. But his wife has, has obviously 
you know, as, as you, you might imagine, has said that this absolutely means the world to her. But the point is, is that trust can be customized to any situation. They've got this reputation of being, you know, really expensive and really unwieldy, but that's, that's only if they're designed that way. Now, this testamentary trust was, was really simple. It was pretty cost effective to implement. And you can imagine the effect that this had on, on this, this chap's wife. That is just lovely. And that's an example of, uh, of our trust. It's not just about the money. That's beautiful. Uh, an anniversary card every year for 20 years after he's gone. Well, I want to thank you guys. Uh, Paul Lindsay and Jack Lou from MacmillanEstate.com, Macmillan Estate Planning. And uh, don't forget those virtual seminar dates, uh, Wednesday, November 10th at 5.30, Saturday, November 20th at 9 a.m., and Wednesday, November 24th at 5.30 p.m. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Martin. Thank you. Thanks. Macmillan Estate Planning. This is Vancouver Consumer. I'm Martin Strong, and we'll be back with more right after this. Welcome back. It's Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. I'm Martin Strong, and uh, thanks to the folks at Macmillan Estate Planning. And remember, their virtual seminar dates uh, coming up this Wednesday, November 10th at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Time, and then Saturday, November 20th at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, and Wednesday, November 24th at 5.30. So this Wednesday and then Saturday, and then Wednesday, the 24th, you can go to MacmillanEstate.com, which is their website, and sign up for these virtual seminars on estate planning. And while they look adorable from a distance with their little bandit eyes, raccoons have a knack for wreaking havoc on homes in BC. Raccoons will often knock over garbage cans or sneak into places where food is stored. And since they're nocturnal, they usually do it at night making it a lot tougher to prevent them. So what if you own a house or apartment and rent it out and raccoons decide they want to move in too and they don't pay rent? According to Section 32 of BC's Residential Tenancy Act, landlords are responsible for, for providing and maintaining their residential properties in a state that complies with the health, safety, and housing standards required by law. In other words, you got to keep the place pest-free or deal with it. Tenants also bear a responsibility to uphold the cleanliness of their retail units too. And the BC Residential Tenancy Branch sees a lot of complaints about cleanliness. And it may surprise you how many of these complaints actually involve raccoons. In one dispute, a BC tenant claimed that she was terrorized by a family of raccoons that moved in in the summer of 2012. These little uh, critters were living on the balcony and they caused a lot of damage to the furniture and other stuff that was on the balcony. And the tenant noted that she made the landlord aware of the problem right away and that the other tenants reported issues with the animals as well. About a year after she first noticed them, the tenant said she started to hear the raccoons in the ceiling and the sound started to intensify and resulted in extreme noise three to six nights a week. They were reportedly running and playing and making noise, and that kept the tenant up all night. And in an attempt to cancel the noise, the tenant says they purchased custom earplugs, they ran a fan, but that didn't help. 
In addition to noise, the tenant also claimed that the raccoons defecated and urinated on the balcony. Further, she said that the animals were peeing on the roof onto her bedroom ceiling. Overall, the tenant said all of this critter chaos resulted in a loss of peace and quiet during the tenure of her stay. Uh, She provided digital evidence of the raccoons on the balcony as well as the physical evidence caused by them. The RTB found in favor of the tenant and ordered the landlord to pay her almost $2,000 as well as $50 for her filing fee. So I guess the bottom line is if you own a property and whether you rent it out or not, don't let the raccoons move in and take over. This is Vancouver Consumer. We're here every Saturday from 2 to 4 p.m. Thank you to our fearless producer, Jonathan Chung. I'm Martin Strong. The news is next. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.